yeah! Come on in and get some of this. WWE Payback Edition of In This Corner with Brian Campbell. Ready to make the audio magic here. It's late Sunday night. You're listening to the Brian Campbell fresh off a wild, albeit bizarre, albeit spectacular WWE Payback pay-per-view. The first since WrestleMania 33, the Raw exclusive show from San Jose. You know my tag team partner. Let me grab that little tag rope right there. Let's play by the rules. Let me bring him right in. Adam Silverstein, East Coast time, Adam. You know, we're really pushing it for the people here. We're, we're coming up on midnight. We wanted to react right away. How you feeling? You ready for this? You, you got a little payback juice coming out of you? What's going on right now? Hey, now, yeah, we wouldn't be doing this if we weren't juiced. Uh, great show. We'll, we'll get into the details in a moment, but glad to do this special type of podcast we plan to do after our WWE pay-per-views. You might hear my dog's little footprints in the background. That's Moose. He's going to join us this week. And, uh, yeah, let's, let's take off. Let's go. By Moose, did you name him after the TNA Impact Wrestling Sensation and former uh, NFL lineman Moose, by any A- chance? Absolutely not. Inside joke in the fraternity. And that is about it. That's where we will leave it at that. Adam, you mentioned get juiced. You said something about juice. That means that you're ready to give back to the people some of this performance-enhancing audio. Even on a Sunday night, you're ready to inject that because WWE gave us a reason to this week, Adam, because they had set the stage for this payback review and set the expectations so low that it really put them in a good spot to deliver, Adam. And depending on your exact stance, this was a top-shelf show, a spectacular in-between pay-per-view one month after WrestleMania, or maybe it was closer toward a debacle because, Adam, there is the elephant in the room that we cannot avoid that is the House of Horrors match, Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt when you look at this card as a whole, how much does that match play into where you will rate and sort of, you know, surmise how good this card was? I mean, you know it has to weigh in. You can't look at an event, a three-hour event as a whole. This one actually fell a little bit short. You can't look at it as a whole and say, well, you know, something that took up 45 minutes doesn't count, doesn't play into it. It definitely does, and that match was horrible. But we shouldn't let that take away whatsoever from the quality of this card when we just remember it because – The expectations, as you said, they were so incredibly low for payback, and yet it started hot, and it built, and it kept going, and the main event was fantastic with Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns. So I want to give a grade early here for this card. I want to make it very clear. B-plus show for me. Um, The House of Horrors knocked it down a peg. You said the same B-plus in your recap and results story over on CBSSports.com, but I'm going to let you you take it away. I want to hear your take on the House of Horrors match, because I know you feel very, very strongly about it. Yeah, very, very strongly against it. And it really it really offset what was such a consistent card that just built and grew and escalated. And there were surprise title changes. There was post-match violence. There was everything you would want. Yet this sore thumb in the middle of this absurd House of Horrors match... Adam, if the end game of this is the end of the Bray Wyatt-Randy Orton feud, then let this thing end because this was something that really had hooked us for a while, nine months worth of action. And now I just want those nine months back because for as high and low as that build had been and how many good and bad and light and dark places they had taken us, this thing is so far off the rails from WrestleMania 33. And really now it's just in, it's deep within a ditch. How do you... 
how do you even sum up what we saw? I mean, you got to take it back to the beginning of Randy Orton uh, pulling up shirtless in a limousine <laughs> at a horror site, a horror movie house that apparently Bray owns in the San Jose area. Uh, you know, kayfabe only here. Is this what we're, we're we're supposed to believe here? Not to mention that when this card started at the time that that show took place on Pacific Coast time in California, it was still light out, right? Right? Still light out. Yeah, so, so Randy's pulling up in the dark. There's just a lack of consistency and continuity there. But this thing just stuck out horrifically because – this is so much different, Adam, than let's say what the Hardy Bros did with Impact Wrestling last year, where the the, the two major sort of uh, special edition shows that they had, it was just as dark as this in certain elements, but it was also hilarious. And there was a tongue-in-cheek nature in the way it was presented. And, you know, you would have Matt Hardy look at the camera and smile and sort of give you that, like, you know, the dilapidated boat scars guard, the, uh, you know, this father-in-law, the, 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 you know, the gardener. I mean, there's a lot of these wild sort of fun things around it. I think what WWE did with this House of Horrors, though, they presented it straight up serious. And that, in the end, was their their, their biggest downfall because this was so bizarre and, and past the line. And, and I always say, if you're going to go down that road, stick to it. And that's why I couldn't give this whole match a, a straight up an F because they went down that road and they stuck to it. But they stuck to that to the death. This was horrific. This should have been the blow off at WrestleMania, <laughs> right, Adam? This, yeah. this this build was as weird where if you wanted to to – to let it blow off with this type of event, this had WrestleMania written all over it, and we could have loved or hated it from there. But to stretch it out another month, and then to just have this random action inside of a house that, and then to end it in a ring. Look, I'm babbling, but I have a right to babble because I'm so <laughs> confused and angry about this that, like, like you know, pull me, give me the the Apollo live at the Apollo Theater hook. Save me right now. Where am I going? Because I'm just angry about You're it. You're angry, and rightfully so. Look, we we said it at the time. Uh, during WrestleMania, after WrestleMania, the match should have ended at WrestleMania. Stronger, better match with Bray Wyatt retaining the title. Feud over. That's it. You move him over to Raw if you want, or you have him drop it on SmackDown the next week before you move him to Raw. Whatever the case, you just don't move him. Is what is what the case is. You keep him on SmackDown with the WWE title. Um, but look, it was horrible. You mentioned the house. You said it to me in Slack. The guy's been billed throughout his entire career in WWE from Florida and Louisiana, but he has a house in San Jose. That's a drive away, a stone's throw away from the arena. Bray Wyatt, you knew he was at home because he was wearing a wife beater in his house. Um, the fridge was the fridge was ridiculous. That whole spot was crazy. Randy Orton's laying under a fridge pinned to the ground, and Wyatt escapes in a limo, but Orton gets to the arena before him. What did he call an Uber from under the fridge? The guy helped pry him out of there. He called and the Maytag had, repairman, yeah, I think, to had, lift him out of there, right? Yeah, and the dude had a race car and got him right to the arena. Look, it, it was terrible. Um, you, uh, you're a big Jinder Mahal supporter. You told me the interference, the Singh brothers didn't help the match for you. I liked the additional heat on Jinder. It gave Orton a little bit of an out because he's in a non-title match that was supposed to be a title match at a Raw pay-per-view. It kind of let him escape it. It it, it hindered Bray again. Bray again didn't get a clean win at a pay-per-view over a legitimate opponent. So he's not built up from it. So, the, the end result was heat on gender, which I guess is good if you like gender, but it didn't help Randy. It didn't help Bray. And the whole thing was terrible. I no, mean, it, it, it didn't help anybody. I tweeted out that that adding gender this and I, what I tweeted out essentially was I'm a bigger fan of the gender push than, than you, meaning anyone else out Absolutely. there. And if you listen to our show, you know that. But 
combining him into this mess makes no sense. Like, did they sew it together where it would make sense that he tries to screw over Randy? I mean, he's already stolen the title. He shows up, you know, in the arena with the title, knocks Randy over the head with it, helps Bray get the win. Yeah, sewed together. In theory, it makes sense. But the reason why it doesn't make sense is because these are two separate worlds, right? Like, what made that Hardy Boys thing with with TNA work with the broken Matt Hardy with Brother Nero was that it was almost a separate universe from what was actually going on inside the Impact Wrestling Ring in Orlando, Florida. That they were feuding with a horror-based team in Decay, right? With Crazy Steve and Abyss and Rosemary. It was so out there that you can understand and and just hold that 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 you know suspension of of, of disbelief or however you want to say it to where okay, this is a another world, another era, another time. If you're going to think that this Wyatt Orton match worked and you're going to say, okay, WWE, I I commend you for sticking to your guns and going down this road and putting that much attention to detail in that house, which they did. They had doll, baby doll, evil baby dolls hanging from the ceiling. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Then that has to be its own universe. You can't have a House of Horrors matches that ends inside an arena with some stupid connected storyline of Bray jumping in Randy's limo. Well, if, if Randy's set up to get that limo, shouldn't the limo driver maybe being like, hey, where's the shirtless? fellow with the black <laughs> jeans that I dressed dropped off. Who's this weird guy now singing in the back? Well, you know, I mean, like, that's just bizarre. But to bring Jinder Mahal, you almost stain his push to bring him into this horror world, this weird world. I mean, let's not forget their WrestleMania match, meaning Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt, featured some really weird special effects with Bray if you're going to stay in kayfabe storyline, Bray summoned the dark, evil devil, Sister Abigail spirit to create a projection screen on the ring that would show what, like bugs and, and all kinds of craziness that was meant to freak Randy out. And of course, in the end, it didn't work, which only screwed up that storyline even more. So that has to be kept separate. He's using dark magic. It's something totally different. Gender does not belong in that universe. So to combine the two makes absolutely no sense. It makes everyone look stupid, including all of us who sat at home and watched it. It really just was a mess. If it's a separate world that ends separately and it's the bluff to their feud, and you could decide whether you like that, you could decide whether you believe that Bray deserved revenge for having his prayer shack burnt down and all this, like... When you combine those two worlds, Adam, you make a mess. You you put ingredients together that just don't work, and you make yourselves look foolish. And I think WWE should be ashamed for staying as hard as they did down that road and going to the finish with this when they had to realize at points it wasn't working, the crowd was not buying it. I mean, when they came back to that arena, the crowd was booing after that initial video package. How do they go the distance with this and then bring other people involved? Man, that gets me fired up. Now, you make a really fair point, but I'm going to disagree with the – hindering gender by throwing him in here I didn't really mind that at all I mean this is a guy who's all he's done now is attack Randy steal his title been a pure heel ever since getting that number one contendership so of course he's going to interfere in this match he doesn't care who he's facing or whether it's a dark scary place or or whatever the storyline or whatever the situation is this is a three-man team gender and the Singh brothers and yeah he should have interfered here I mean I, I the whole thing was horrible it was the house of horrible we've gone over this I'm going to pull you out of your sunken place so we can move on to the good stuff. Because we're, you we're, can't. You, I'm stuck. You can't. No, because no, no. You're, you're coming out of it. But I will say, I think, uh, uh, listen, as someone who's been against this gender push, okay, I don't think this was the most objectionable thing they've done with him since. So for me, look, I agree with you. It was a D. You said D minus. It's a D match for me. I didn't. I mean, I disliked it, but I didn't loathe it as much as you did. But I will say there was that little bit of a rede- redemption of gender don't care. Gender, gender doesn't doesn't care about who he's facing or what the situation is. 
He's going to attack Orton. He wants the WWE title. So for me, that was a slight little ray of sunshine in just an awful scenario. Well, one more thing on that. Like, was the actual presentation of this House of Horrors horrible? No. Like, you know, cinematically, it was interesting. Was the actual fighting in the house horrific? No. I mean, it was what it was. It was a brawl in a kitchen with a fridge falling on Randy Orton. The second greatest performance from a fridge since William Perry at WrestleMania 2, I might I might have you say. Bingo. But the problem is when there's no connection with the actual storyline in the end, that's when you're left just holding a bunch of crap in your hands. Because why should we care Right? Like, why should we care at this point that Bray's prayer shack was burned down, which made him from a heel to some oddly sympathetic babyface in a way? And I thought there was this weird moment when Randy DDT'd Bray inside the arena and then went back in the ring and raised his arms in the air looking for cheers. And I, I sort of even felt confused within my own heart and heart going, is he the heel or babyface right now? Should we care? What is this saying? And when there's no storyline in the end, they could have saved it, Adam. We could have been in this chair right now. And again, this should have happened at WrestleMania, not now. But we could have been in this chair saying, hey, it was weird. But man, in the end, the story kind of made sense. You can't tell me the story makes sense with Jinder there at the end. What no, connection does he have to a burned down prayer shack in, in, in dead ashes underneath the rocking chair? Tell me. Give me come on. The story I need the answers. doesn't make sense. It wasn't good. It was horrible. It was the house of horrible it's simply that, hey, Jinder, yeah, he's going to be a bad heel, and he, he was himself in that moment. So I had no issue with it. I'm sticking to the guns on that. Uh, again, as someone who has been against Jinder from the very start, I was like, hey, you know what? He doesn't care. So, yeah, he's going to ruin this match and whatever. You, you know what? There was no finish for this match that would have been good. So to me, that was as good as anything they could have put out there. I think real quick, I think if if you had if the goal end goal was to put Bray over because you already screwed him in the booking by giving him the belt and then pulling it off of him, shouldn't the end goal for him to be to get revenge and go over as the strong heel? There's no title on the line, so he can go over and and, and it doesn't hurt Randy. Shouldn't he have won that match within the grounds of what it was in some evil house where he gets I don't know if there's a there's no referee, so there's no pin, but shouldn't it have been left with Randy beaten down and Bray sort of laughing over him? Maybe maybe have stolen his soul? Maybe there was an actual soul transaction, but shouldn't it have ended there? He should have won at WrestleMania and been the champion on SmackDown. That's what should have happened. All right, conspiracy theory really quick, and I saw this on Twitter and it did kind of raise my eyebrows. Is there any chance this was WWE's soft play? to see how the fans liked the weird supernatural angle, hoping all along that they would acquire the Hardys when their impact deal was done. Well, they did acquire them, and now sort of waiting and see. Did the fans really like this weirdness? Can we really launch the Hardys in their in their broken universe and go weird like this? Because clearly they enjoyed what the Hardys are doing when you saw that Wyatt Family New Day very brief angle where they fought in the swamps in North Carolina. You remember that raw sequence that made no sense and was thrown together. Is there any chance this was their test run to see if they can really employ a true broken brilliance? Yeah, I don't know. You know, Matt has already been kind of dropping, dropping hints to the broken gimmick. Um, the fans obviously were really responsive to that at WrestleMania. So they made the decision to do – or whether they made the decision to do House of Horrors after WrestleMania, they followed through with it after the fact. So I don't think they needed the WWE universe to tell them that they'd be okay with it. Um, and, and you don't try something out in the WWE championship picture with two main eventers. You try it out with low carters and see if it works you know, higher up on the card. So I, I disagree with that thesis. I mean I definitely could be wrong, but that doesn't sound right to me. Well, Adam, if you're going to pull me out of this house of horrors, I'm I'm done. We're not going to talk about it again. Outside of that, as we teased outside of that, I give this a B-plus card because I thought that we mentioned I thought that this house of horrors pulled away from it. But if you remove that match, 
I mean, for a card that falls in a spot where creatively WWE typically mails it in, the first card after WrestleMania, normally you don't see business pick up until Money in the Bank in June, outside of maybe a, one or two of those in-between cards, maybe having a moment or two. This was top to bottom, a very good card. We can't go any further without talking about that main event. We talked in the buildup where you wanted to see Braun get a clean win. You wanted them to, to continue the monster push to make up for whatever was lost when they pressed pause over WrestleMania. And you wanted to see him destructively, violently be furthered along in the story. Holy cow, did they go to another level? Way more than I would have expected in this spot, Adam. And using blood, which you don't see enough of. I mean, outside of a random hard way here and there, clearly this seems like there was a blood packet with Roman spitting up in the ring after eating the post-match situation with the stairs to the gut. He's already selling the rib injury. He's already selling the shoulder injury. But after the match, spitting up against a white wall. These are moments that can be subtle, that can be small, but that really hook me back as a fan, that show me WWE, you care. You care about what what I'm looking for as a fan. You're reconnecting with me. You know how hurt I am over this friggin' house of horrors that you're plugging me back in. How good, from a just straight up violence standpoint, was that main event for you? Yeah, it was fantastic. It was in maybe, let's call it, A minus main event for me. It was really, really, really strong. Strowman going over, obviously the right move. Um, what I didn't like is Reigns didn't really sell his injuries that strong throughout the match. He was able to do a one-armed Samoan drop. He hit a spear without any after effects, even though he used his other shoulder. The guy's got supposedly broken ribs and a separated shoulder. Every single thing he does should be anguish. It should be anguish for him. He should not be able to compete at any close to any level with Braun Strowman, but he did, and he stayed in it throughout. Um, he just got a little bit too much offense for me as I saw it unfold, and he was a little too unaffected by it. The finish to the match was perfect. Loved Strowman looking dominant. He had the triangle choke, two power slams, uh, Reigns then getting seriously injured, as you mentioned, with the stairs. He sold that fantastic, and as you said, kind of refusing the stretcher, going to the back, kind of hobbling on his own. Um, He found a white wall, like you said, spit that bright red fake blood all over. It was fantastic. I mean, it looked to me that if Roman Reigns doesn't have that vest, he's dead. Like, how else do you take a shot like that with the stairs to the ribs and live <laughs> if you don't have a huge, thick, protective vest on? If you're um, not wearing a, a catcher's uh, chest protector there, how do, how do you survive that, D'Lo Brown? No, no, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. On the topic of blood, though, you know, look, we're not going back to the, to the hard way days of, of the 80s or even like 2004, 2005, which, by the way, when you go back and watch those pay-per-views, it can be startling to go oh, yeah. back and look at some of those blade jobs because we're so far removed from that. I think we've seen a couple blood packet moments here or there. You remember that beatdown about two years ago of Triple H and Roman Reigns. It seemed like there was a vi- you know some Zapruder film level video of Byron Saxon at the announce booth handing a packet to Roman. I'd like to see them use that more. And obviously only use that in situations like this that warrant it. But committing to a story committing to that and having Reigns play ball. We didn't see him kick out of some ridiculous finisher tonight, which was great to see. Uh, Even though they went back to that Braun choke that I love, he dropped it pretty quickly. We didn't see Reigns power out of it. So to commit to to having Reigns tell that story, man, I mean, there was a lot of good storytelling tonight, and this was certainly one of those moments. It, It goes back to me saying it just totally hooked me. But did you need to see Roman get the extra level of comeuppance at the end where with one arm he used the ambulance store to essentially beat Braun, I guess, defenseless. I mean, he defeated Braun. He lost the match, 
but he sort of defeated Braun at the end. And we don't have to get back into Roman always goes over and all this, you know, anti-Roman stuff. Roman's incredible. We both know he's incredible. Did he need that extra moment in your you, eyes? You know what? I, I, I think he did because it showed that he wasn't giving up. And I think that's something that's lost. You know, everyone, everyone wants him to get destroyed. So if you just watched the match and if you turned off payback after that and you didn't see him crawling to the back, which hopefully you didn't because what happened after payback was even better at the beginning of Raw Talk. Um, but look, Strowman comes barreling towards Reigns. He dodges him. The dude takes an ambulance door off its hinges. Incredible. Okay, like I never thought that was going to happen. That was fantastic. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, for him to be, if you're going to take a car door off with your body and you're going to be stumbling around and lay in the ambulance, yeah, Roman should. If he had enough energy to, to crawl to the back, he has enough energy to slam that door into him a couple times and fend him off. He didn't defeat him. Braun wasn't, ro- you know, rolling around hurt and he couldn't move. He ran away because he realized that Reigns still had fight within him and he was injured. So I like it. It showed that Reigns wasn't giving up. I had hoped initially they were going to sell this as Reigns is done. Like, Braun just destroyed him. He's out for four weeks. I don't think Extreme Rules is another... I mean, I think I thought it was like six weeks away. Maybe it's a little closer than that. But I was hoping they'd have Reigns out for an extended period of time, do a couple of vignettes, kind of get him back in, and then you have him go over at Extreme Rules or at whatever pay-per-view they end up fighting each other. Um, so that's kind of what I was hoping. This makes it kind of look like, yeah, he hurt him, but he maybe he's only out for a week or two again, and he's going to come back, and they're going to restart that feud. Um, but again, at the moment that you're talking about with him fending him off with the door, I didn't mind that at all because it does show, hey, the hero, he still has fight with enemies, not just completely decimated, even though that's what I had initially hoped for. And just to just to update on the schedule, we have the SmackDown exclusive backlash coming up May 21st, then the Raw Extreme Rules on June 4th. Then you go into Money in the Bank SmackDown on June 18th and recently announced that. But I just wanted oh, to be able to say this out loud. July 9th, Raw, Dallas, the pay-per-view, great balls of fire. We'll get into that a lot more in the in the in the full WWE edition later this week of the In This Corner podcast. But what this main event teased to me, Adam, because they've done such a good job handling Braun's unique physicality and making him a little bit more meaner, we know he has great car wreck potential. When he finally gets into that feud with Brock Lesnar, and hopefully it's sooner than later, hopefully it's this year, hey, hopefully it's smack, hopefully it's the main event of, of SummerSlam, which I don't think it would be, but that's epic violent potential. I mean, how? I mean, come on. How, we're talking about activating the fuel spot. We're talking about hitting a bullseye where it matters. Would that is that popping you? I mean, it's a personal question. You popping for that or what? Yeah, Strowman's great. I love him, and I think his athleticism is underrated. I mean, the fact that he can do the moves he does in the ring um, is just as impressive as just the brutality that he brings, you know, to every single match he's in. But I'm down for Strowman Lesnar at SummerSlam. I think that should be the match. If you're saving Lesnar Reigns for WrestleMania 34, if that's your planned match, then why not have Rain, uh, you know Lesnar Strowman right between it? So. For me, that's the match. That's the money match. I want to see that. Uh, I want to see Lesnar go over Strowman. You know, show that you can beat this guy. Um, but yeah, I'm all in for Strowman. Like the way you're in for Gender, I am all in and above that for Strowman. He's fantastic. I love the push. I wish his gimmick got refined a little bit more, so it's not just him screaming. Uh, but no, I'm here for it. Uh, so much more to love about about Payback and. Another one that really stands out to me, and look, I can be critical and curmudgeonly about the WWE women's division when it's bad. I'm a, I'm somebody who really appreciates a good women's match. When Sasha and Charlotte were in that cage at Hell in a Cell last October, 
I could not have put that over more as two of two of them just going for it. But the flip side of that is I'm going to be all over you when it's awful. And you know, I've been all over Bailey's run at the top. Hey, surprise turn here. Alexa bliss gets the win. Little bit of history becomes the first to win the raw and SmackDown title. But Adam, this was another step forward in the solidification of Alexa bliss as a superstar nine months on the main roster, SmackDown title twice. Now the raw title, but she's improving within that giant push. And I think you saw that in the ring tonight where she was bullying Bailey physically. She's very good in terms of uh, giving you that resting bliss face, right? Talking trash. She excels in those areas. I saw her, even though she's, you know, a five feet ball of fury or whatever her, her new catchy nickname is, she was bullying at a believable level. There was a higher level of physicality to what she was doing. And of course, Bailey's the perfect foil as one of the last great pure white me baby faces in terms of just sticking to that pure character. But Bliss, I feel like whatever we thought of her coming in, and I was a huge fan, really took a leap. So when they booked that finish, which was a bit surprised to put the belt on her, it just all came together. It just felt really good to see that. Great performance. Belt goes on her at the right time. I was all for it. Yeah, you know, it should probably be said that she's the second best women's wrestler in WWE, obviously behind Charlotte. I mean, to me, it's not even a question. I love Sasha. I think she brings a lot to the table, athleticism, great character, um, some good potential feuds. But Alexa Bliss is on an absolute roll. I have mentioned on this podcast the last three weeks probably. I probably said it every single time. I hate when titles change every three weeks, four weeks. I didn't want Bailey to lose it, not because I wanted Bailey to keep the title, which I think she got way too early and, and kind of undeserved. I'm not saying she's not good, just didn't deserve it in the storyline at the time. It didn't make sense. I hate when the titles change hands all the time. I loved this move to Alexa Bliss. She is a absolute savage heel. She takes advantage of a concussed Bailey, knocked her head twice, hits her with that dirty DDT right in the middle of the ring, and gets a clean pinfall. I you love said it. dirty. You talking about dirty deeds done dirt cheap? Is that what you're talking about here? No, no, no. I'm saying dirty, like strong, head first, like a, a legitimate DDT, the way a DDT is supposed to be delivered. She was taught and she practiced how to give that type of DDT in this match. And you're seeing it. You're seeing her on the mic. You're seeing her in the ring. She is fantastic. I'm all in for Alexa Bliss. Um, as I said, second best women's wrestler in WWE right now. Yeah, look, she's knocking on Charlotte's door, and I didn't think I would be saying that. You know, because like – the first half of her of her nine months on the main roster was more like, wow, she's surprising us. Wow, I can't believe she was called up this early, and I can't believe she's this good. Then even the last few months, it was like, okay, she's really good as SmackDown champion. She's really overachieving. We're no longer basing the foundation on overachievement. We're now taking that second-level conversation, which you say, is she's now, in my money, right behind Charlotte, which is what you just said. And also, it kind of exposes, like, does Sasha, and this is another topic, we don't have to go all the way with this, but does Sasha have that Randy Orton potential where when all is said and done, she's probably going to be an all-time great, but will she ever actually fulfill that top-level ceiling potential or she falls short like Randy sort of has in his own way? Randy's got that complicated resume. The sum of the parts in the end will be great, but there's always that feeling like maybe he never reached what we thought he could be. Still early on Shasha, but do you get that tease at all? That's a really good comparison as of right now. I just think she has so much room to grow. Uh, what Randy did, Randy has grown a lot since he kind of won his first few titles, but she has a lot of room to grow. I think it's a totally fair comparison right now. If she gets stronger on the mic, she needs to just be more fluid in her in-ring ability. You know, her and Charlotte, they've had some great matches, but in every match, there's multiple blown spots, and that can't happen. Some of it's her fault, some of it's Charlotte's fault, 
But, you know, at the level that we're talking about, main eventing, they want to main event a WrestleMania. They want to main event major pay-per-views with this women's division. And I think they can do it between Charlotte, Sasha Banks, Becky Lynch, and Alexa Bliss, and Bailey as well, of course, um, and some of the other women as well. Naomi is very impressive athletically. Uh, they have the ability to, they have the talent and ability to do it, but they have to clean it up. And when you talk about Sasha Banks, she should be someone that is a champion for months upon months at a time. And right now they haven't been able to trust her to do that for one reason or another. Maybe it was they wanted to keep changing those titles, which I hated. Maybe they just felt like, hey, you know, she's not that great on the mic, so we'd rather have it around Charlotte going into major events or coming out of major events, whatever it is. Um, I like Sasha a lot, but Bliss has really just taken that next step. It's noticeable. By the way, if if next year was the year they went to finally cash in on this idea of women main eventing WWE, and I think we are close, and main eventing WrestleMania, I'm sorry, yeah, and I think we are we are getting really close to that to that working to that making sense. Uh, they'll probably do a multi girl match. I wish they wouldn't though, because obviously a match means so much more when it's one on one when there's a long story. I think for a while we've said, okay, the only match right now of the of what we know of the players available, the only match right now that makes sense is obviously Charlotte versus Sasha, and you have to sort of stay away from it. You overused it a bit at the end of 2016. Stay away from it and then build back up to it. I think now you may be able. It's early now. You may be able to tell yourself, what if you did? Raw champion Alexa Bliss versus SmackDown champion Charlotte, but you let Bliss hold on to the belt for that whole journey toward WrestleMania. It's very rare they let somebody keep a belt for a full year, for a full 9, 10, 11 months anymore, but it means so much more when you do that. Is that match, at least in the conversation of possibilities, or or is it still as things stand now, either a four or five women match or Charlotte versus Sasha with a good hook? No, I I think if they put a women's match in a main event of a pay-per-view, especially WrestleMania, it's a one-on-one. I don't think they go with a triple threat or a fatal four-way. It gets crazy at that point, and you you lose the prestige. You want to have two women who have deserved it and, and, you know, get into that spot. But I like your booking angle. I don't love Bliss Ford as much as I like her. The, what you'd have to do is Sasha Banks, Charlotte, each of them hold the title. They meet at WrestleMania, and it's either a unification or one of them's on the line, or you, I don't know how they would book hey, it. Hey, put but, somebody's hair on the line, all right? Whatever you got to do, okay? <laughs> yeah, but th- that's the match I want to see. I would love to see that, them you know, meeting at a WrestleMania. I don't know if this next year, obviously, we would be ready for the main event. They're still young. They're all very, very young. Um, this division has a long way to go, and it, it can get there especially as they add a couple more pieces, new talent over the next couple of years. But I wouldn't be surprised if by 2020, at some point between now and then, you see the women main event, a WrestleMania or maybe a SummerSlam. Well, that was a bonus rabbit hole. But looking back at this payback card, there's a lot a lot of other topics to talk about because it, it was really, like we mentioned, a balanced, even card. I think the next match that really stood out to me, at least, Adam, was that Chris Jericho-Kevin Owens U.S. title match because I've been the one complaining coming in going, why are we still having this match, right? Why didn't that feud end at WrestleMania? Jericho's obviously got other plans. He's obviously got got he, he's putting out on social media. He's got the new single with Fozzie, his band that he put on hold over the last year and a half for this Renaissance run he's had. Well, Adam, when he walked into the ring tonight, and this is something we exchanged over over uh, over Slack message, you saw a little bit more of a gut than he had at WrestleMania. And you mentioned he was going a little bit more slower in the ring than he had in recent time as that match took a while to really heat up. But Adam, we got swerved straight up as WWE fans, and it was refreshing to see. It doesn't, unless there's a a, a major change on on Raw and SmackDown this week, which is very possible, Jericho goes over Owens, 
in a really great storytelling finish that now opens the door for Jericho to move to SmackDown with that U.S. title and for business to continue for him. I love when they catch you off guard because this was one of those that you really were thought you could pencil and you know in stone in blood that this was the way it was going to go. Owens was going to retain. It didn't happen. And when they stuck to that really good storyline of Owens putting his finger on the rope to try to break the walls of Jericho, something we saw at WrestleMania, but took it another level, took it to the next second and third chapters in there. Bravo. This was a very good match. It was the longest match of the card at seven, just short of 18 minutes, and I thought it really heated up and delivered late. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm not going to – I mean you're right about Jericho and his gut and him being soft. I'm not going to be the one commenting on it. I have no place to say anything about that, but I'll say this. Look, I loved, just like everyone else, every other WWE fan, I loved the Owens finger gag at WrestleMania. I thought it was fantastic. It was hysterical, well-placed, well-timed, everything. When I first saw the callback tonight, I got concerned. I was like – Oh, man, they're ruining it by doing it again. This sucks. And then it really played into the finish, and I totally bought in. Um, just, you know, smashing his finger there, him not being able to execute the pop-up powerbomb, although if Reigns can do a one-shoulder uh, Samoan drop, he should be able to do a pop-up powerbomb without the use of one finger. But it, like you said, it was a surprising result. It's awesome that Jericho, we think, sticking around. And if he's not, I mean, they could drop this belt. He could drop this belt again on Tuesday. Uh, with a, one of those pop-up power bombs into the ring apron or something that injures him permanently and either vacates the title or Owens wins it back in a rematch, whatever the case might be. But he's fantastic. He's the first wrestler in WWE history to not just win the Grand Slam, but to win it twice over. So he's won the WWE title, the world title, the Intercontinental Championship, uh, the U.S. title. Actually, I messed up. It's WWE title and the tag team title, I think. But he's won them all twice, and he's the first one to ever do that. Fantastic. And one other thing I want to point out from that match, I know you and I talked about it, but there's a kid sitting at ringside um, right after the match with his own list of Jericho. Fantastic. Really funny. Uh, Jericho sees it and immediately just decides, I love this kid. Like, this kid's the best. Takes it from him, signs it, then ends up looking at what he just signed and realizes the kid put KO's name on the list, shows it, laughs, puts the kid on the list, loved that moment, just a little bit of kind of real life mixed in with the kayfabe and mixed in with everything else that was going on, and it was a great start to the show. So I popped for that huge like you did because it felt genuine, it felt real, it's a little kid, it was like... It was like at Survivor Series last year when Shane McMahon suffers that concussion and Randy Orton breaks script to go over to his sons in the front row, right, and consoles them. It was like this good moment. But as I'm thinking about it, we know they cycle in and out the superstars' families into those really good front row seats ahead of each match. Anyway, we got played there. Anyway, we got worked that this was designed to – really put over Jericho as a baby face. Now that what well, you have to ask yourself why, right? Why would they need to extra put him over as this great baby face? You you know, my man, being you, a, are, a, you are cynical, man. No, no, no. That kid, you could see it on his face. You could see it on Jericho's face. It was like genuine surprise and pleasure that this kid either made that. I don't know if they sell that. I don't think I've ever seen the list of Jericho sold anywhere, but if if they do, they sh- if they don't, they should sell that. Um, but you can if see they don't, it's a work. All right. If they go to www.shop.com, whoever's listening to this right now, again, hit us up on Twitter. If they don't sell that yet, this was a work. Maybe, especially if they come out with it and it looks exactly the same. Cause it looked like a cheaper version of it. You know, it didn't really look like the same one, obviously. Cause I felt, I thought the kid made it. Um, but I don't think it was a work. I'd really, really be surprised. It looked genuine on both ends of that. 
Another strong match that really was was in a poor spot because it was sandwiched between the two-part House of Horrors. So in theory, when uh, when Bray Wyatt's riding back from wherever this house is in San Jose. Now, Adam, we're going to line up the timeline, kayfabe storyline-wise. The match I'm going to talk about now is Seth Rollins-Samoa Joe. The match length was just short of 16 minutes. So in that 16 minutes, was Bray – was that how long Bray's limo ride took? Is this where – so, you know, we got to – I guess we really have to look at the map of where the SAP Center is in San Jose <laughs> to try to go 15 minutes in any direction to try to figure out where this rented house of horrors is. But regardless of that, falling in between a regular singles match, I thought it had the potential to steal the show. It didn't in the end. But I thought it overproduced for where it was. A very solid match in terms of storytelling. Seth got dominated early, selling the knee injury. Comes back with a run of finisher after finisher. We know that Seth has a bunch of uh, 1B finishers, a bunch of secondary finishers that he breaks out. Stuff that sometimes I don't like that he breaks out because he doesn't get three counts with it. We're talking about the Falcon Arrow. We're talking mm-hmm. about the blockbuster off the top rope. He's got a few of these really good moves that too often get kicked out of. He gave them all to Samoa Joe. I thought threaded together, this was a strong storyline, physical match, high energy. In the end, Seth goes over. You got any issues with this? Yeah, you know, I don't necessarily know why he went over. He's over. He doesn't need the wins. Joe hasn't really gotten one yet. Um, I don't think they're putting Rollins right into a feud with Lesnar. So if they're not, they need to extend him in a feud with someone else, at least for another month. So for me, Joe's that perfect guy. Um, you know, I thought Joe could have taken advantage of the knees, got a nice heel win on a, on a show that had a lot of face wins and or exciting moments. You know, sometimes you need that thing where just people boo. Um, Bliss won, and I don't really think she got booed that much. I think people were excited. There was a title change and surprised and so on and so forth. So you need some heel victories. I mean, they cheered, they cheered Strowman at the end, obviously, because they hate Reigns. So you need some of those legit heel wins, and, and Joe needs a legitimate victory in WWE as well. So I would have booked him to go over. Do I mind that Rollins won? No. I don't really care either way, if I'm being honest. I don't know what it says in the storyline, because the build into this match – to try to explain, and it didn't fully explain, right? There's a hole in the storyline. Samoa Joe, not at WrestleMania. Makes no sense. Wasn't even ringside with Triple H. But yet the storyline after that was, I'm going to get you back for doing this to my boss, the guy who brought me in as the hitman for the authority. Well, you didn't get him back, Joe. And you didn't get comeuppance afterwards, which we saw in a few different matches tonight. We saw someone getting retribution afterwards physically, taken out on people. It just sort of ended. That's really my only complaint with that was that Seth goes over. It just sort of ends. Are they sealing this feud for now? Are we going to go somewhere else? That was the only thing left uncertain. But in the ring, it produced. Adam, another really good match, with which uh, I believe it, it, it did it kick off the show or was it second? The Cruiserweight Championship between Austin Aries and Neville. Second. Yeah, definitely second, second match. match. Uh, just short of 12 minutes. Look, if you're talking, this is the second chapter now of their feud. Look, they've been going back and forth on Raw and 205 Live, but their second pay-per-view match, they, they really shine bright on that kickoff show at WrestleMania. I thought this match was a great continuation. Talk about physical stiff work. There was three or four spots where I legit had a question as the referee leans down and says, are you okay? Was the person actually okay? A lot of changes of momentum. And then in the end with... Aries on a good run, 
does the move off the top rope leading into the last chancery submission, and you have Neville unable to get to the rope, does the classic heel move of first grabbing the referee's hand, then getting a stronger grip, and sort of with one arm on his stomach, flips the referee over to get the old school DQ. Loved it, because you're able to extend this feud now Further putting over Neville, starting to build this, man, Aries just can't get over no matter what he does. Because in the WrestleMania match, he got poked in the eye. And now in this one, you know, even more outright, you know, straight up cheating where this time it ends in a disqualification. I don't know where the end point is on here, but man, these guys deliver in the ring. This is cruiserweight work at its best. The two best cruiserweights while Cedric Alexander continues to rest with his injury. It straight up brought it. It delivered. Yeah, you know, I'm in line with basically everything you just said. We uh, we did our predictions before. I thought it would end in a DQ. I thought T.J. Perkins was gonna, you know, get involved in some way and factor into it. But I love that finish even more. It looks makes him look makes Neville look like even more of a heel as he should be. You know, it takes away a little bit of the monster heel from him. But he's a bad guy. He's playing it amazingly. Uh, the intensity's there. Uh, you know, stealing a win. Sometimes you have to do that when you're a heel. A lot of times you win clean, uh, or he wins clean a lot, which a lot of heels don't. Um, so I, I've loved that, you know, as we've gone through his journey, you know, in this new role. But for me, this was a great continuation. The question is, do they give it a little bit of a break um, and kind of have Neville play the role where he refuses to let Aries get another opportunity? Or do they figure out a way to give Aries yet another title shot at another pay-per-view in a month? Uh, I don't know. If they do have that match again, I'd love to have some kind of stipulation. Not a no DQ, but, you know, maybe a Hell in the Cell match or, you know, just something really fun that these two guys, maybe a ladder match, uh, that these two guys could really put over if they're going to have this one more time and give Aries a chance to get a win and actually take the title. Well, you'll have that time, right? You'll have a little bit more than a month before that next Raw pay-per-view. So you'll have that time. I don't want to see them working against each other every week. I don't want to see one on commentary while the other's wrestling every week. But you have to kind of way to keep that that program going. It's it's producing so far. The other match on this payback main card, Adam, that really was probably the the least talked about, the least buzzworthy match yet really produced in the ring was the Hardy Boys defending the Raw Tag Team Championship. And when I say really produced, I give a grade in our CBSSports.com recap for each match. I didn't go below B- minus for any of these matches. I mean, every single match outside of that House of Horrors pretty much delivered strong. I mean, that's a separate case all to itself. <laughs> this match was that because the Hardy Boys defend against Cesaro and Sheamus if you like nostalgia, if you like what the Hardy Boys bring, this was a, a mini car wreck in the fact that you had a lot of those spots that you love. Jeff jumping off the top rope many times. Jeff getting caught doing moves. He loses a tooth when Sheamus hits him with his shin. There's a hard way afterwards when Matt gets attacked afterwards. In the ring, it delivered. How did you feel, though, about the storyline in the sense that there was a lot of build of, of sportsmanship, of shaking hands after the match? They went back to that. You knew it was a tease that something dark was going to happen, and it did play out as Cesaro and Sheamus two seconds later come back, beat down both Hardys pretty viciously, throw them both into the ring post. A bro kick to Matt opens up a hard way cut on his forehead. Do you care about this moving forward now that this played out this way? No, I think it's great. And I think Sheamus and Cesaro were really, really underrated just overall. It should be said, they have a top 10 ring entrance in WWE right now. And I know that doesn't factor into the match. Yeah, the kilts. Are we talking about the kilts? No, not the kilts. The rest of it. It's very rare that they combine two singles wrestlers. Then they kind of force the name together, Brizongo or whatever else. And then they also combine the music and the entrances. It's very rare it works. But if you watch how the cinematography or just how cinematic that entrance is with the bright lights, Cesaro's special entrance, then back to back. 
doing the mannerisms together. I really like that entrance. It just caught me today. I was watching it. I'm like, you know, this is a really underrated uh, entrance. It's really, really solid. But aside of that, as performers, they're great as well. And they both are underrated criminally. Um, I like I liked when they had the tag titles. I like in the past where Sheamus has had individual titles. Obviously, they don't give it to Cesaro because of his mic work. That's unfortunate. But them being together is a great tag team. And yeah, they foreshadowed the heel turn for the last, what, two weeks now. Anytime that you have the singles wrestlers both win, uh, you know, the Hardys win two singles matches and then you have, and there's handshakes afterward and then you go into a pay-per-view, you know there's going to be a heel turn. But Sheamus, that bro kick is brutal. Not only did they open up Matt in the ring with the hard way, I liked the, even though it wasn't as brutal, outside the ring, they had Jeff around the ring post and he hit the bro kick into his back, driving him face first into the ring post. That was cool too. I'm all in for them being heels. I thought the match was really good too. A very creative finish with... Sheamus, I forgot what move it was, but he hit a slam on Matt, covered him for the pin. Hardy, uh, Jeff Hardy jumps up to the top, hits the swanton, gets the one, two, three. Um, I just liked it. It was a very solid B match from start to finish. The end was great. I'm here for it. Uh, I'm a big fan of what they're doing with the tag team divisions as a whole, both on Raw and SmackDown. Uh, it's been much needed for years. It took them a long time to build up the tag team division again. Right now, it's as good as it's been, in my opinion. And uh, it's bolstered now, and the Hardy Boys are a big part of that. And we'll get into it on our on our weekly wrap-up show later about the future of the Hardy Boys. Of will Broken Matt come out? There's a lot of rumors that WWE may or may not be out there trying to acquire the rights. We saw Matt do the delete from the top rope. We saw some teases and cues from the interviews tonight, a backstage segment where it sounded like the old characters coming out. We also saw the Golden Truth in a backstage segment ask for a title shot in the future and essentially get one. So we'll see where that's going moving forward. The only other match in this card, Adam, was that pre-show tag match. Had a lot of star power for a kickoff show match. Enzo and Big Cass going over Gallows and Anderson. Quick match, pretty good finish. I have nothing good or bad necessarily to say about it. Kind of solid. But I want to move past that to to, to bring up the other thing that happened on the pre-show and sort of get your take. I thought there was a pretty strong pre-show when you have a star-studded tag team match and a strong Miz TV segment that made me care, that had me asking questions to myself afterwards. We had that with Finn Balor in this one. I mean, come on, load up these pre-shows if you want us to watch it, right? Like, give us a reason to outside of seeing the king at at, at the pre-show desk dressed in another one of these designer weird (laughs) t-shirts, right? Like, with with a card on it or some royalty logo on it. You saw Finn Balor coming out in the full Fonzie Happy Days gimmick, which I liked. You know, popping the Terrible. collar on the leather jacket, mixing in the the black sneakers with the with the white trim this time, but looking the all black look. Good trash talk with Miz. Here's what we learned, though. We learned that this Balor Club, which we thought was a play on the Bullet Club, which which Finn was a part of, of course, in New Japan wrestling with, you know, before AJ came in and also with the club and with, with other members. It was revealed this time with all that merch you see in the crowd of Balor Club that the Balor Club means. Finn Balor's fans in the WWE universe. Like, okay, that's fine. But trash talking back and forth ends with Balor taking out the Miz in a funny say, a funny joke on the way out where he starts, you know, he teased that he wasn't going to attack the Miz and was like, I'm not going to attack you because every episode of Miz TV ends with you getting your ass kicked. And that was that was well played right there. Is this teasing a feud between them? Because one thing that that Finn did say was, I want to get my Universal title back, and I'll go through Brock Lesnar to get there. So if you're mapping Finn Balor's future, what did tonight tell you about that? Yeah, it definitely seems that way, especially since, I mean, I thought it was going to be Miz Ambrose, and they didn't even have, let's, let's make it clear, there was no Universal title match on this card, there was no Intercontinental title match, so the top two titles on Raw 
were not defended on the Raw brand pay-per-view. I thought it was going to be Miz Ambrose kind of in a rehash of that U.S. title uh, picture you know, on this pay-per-view. It never, never really happened. And if they're not going to have Miz feud with Ambrose, if they're going to end it with that strange Bray Wyatt interference on Raw last week, then sure, he, uh, you know, Finn Balor is as good of a opponent as any for the Miz, and, and it's a really good guy for him to kind of for Balor to kind of squash as he works his way back up, you know, to the Universal Title picture on Raw. I thought the just to go back on the kickoff show as a whole. My one note on the kickoff show was one of the best kickoff shows in a while. I totally agree. I like that Enzo and Cass went over in that match. I said in our predictions, I said if you're gonna, you, these guys have to get wins sometime. They always job. Enzo always loses matches. To get him a roll-up victory over Gallows and Anderson, really good. I like the way they did it with some good teamwork between the two. And if the, if you're going to feature them at SummerSlam, which maybe it's just something that I have in my head, but I am assuming that they might have them win the uh, tag team titles at SummerSlam in their hometown of Brooklyn. So you have to start giving them wins and letting them build up. And a kickoff show victory for that tag team is one that you can kind of forget for Gallows and Anderson. Eh, it doesn't really matter. He got rolled up. They didn't hit a finisher, whatever. But for Enzo and Cass, it's big. It's a big, strong victory over a really good team. So loved that, loved the kickoff show as a whole. And Balor, I'm just excited to see him in the ring and, and kind of get into a feud again and have a, f- a full series, uh, go all the way to a pay-per-view, win a match there, and kind of keep going and, and move himself back up into that picture. But I just question what Raw is going to do with all these guys, uh, Rollins, Reigns, Strowman, Balor, Miz, etc. if Braun's going to keep this title. I mean, not if Braun, if uh, Brock Lesnar's going to keep this title for months upon months upon months. If he's not going to drop this title until next WrestleMania and he's only going to defend it four times, then what the heck are all these other guys going to do? Yeah, I think you almost have to do a situation where Brock gets an injury angle where his part-time status, it's explained that the injury angle forces him to drop the title. So you have to use Braun Strowman to injure him if you really want to you know, tease for the future or whatever. He's allowed to step aside. I don't know if they create an interim belt. I don't know if they just bring the title back. And that's where you let Roman Reigns and Balor sort of play on that level for a while. But what I really – and then that might, you know, they might go a whole other way altogether. But what I really liked about this Miz TV segment was just what you said. It's saying, hey, Miz and Ambrose might not be a rehash and let's go away from that. Miz and Finn could really be something because we don't really know a lot about Finn Balor, the person and the character, because you're only allowed to talk for so long in NXT. There's not a lot of real estate for you to do these long speeches, these long 15-minute dialogue segments. Of course, he got hurt right after he came up. Miz is the perfect foil to to really bring out a, a guy's personality. We saw more from Finns tonight than we normally did. And there's some things I like, some things I didn't like. Adam, I don't know if I liked when he had that little – that little trash talking response to Miz where he essentially said, you know, there's two clubs you can join. One is the Balor club and blah, blah, blah. The fans don't like you, so you can't join it. The second one is the Finn Balor just kicked my ass club. And that's what escalated their near fight. That felt a little too Stone Cold Steve Austin to me. And it's not that Finn can't be projected as a strong baby face, but he's still a baby face, right? Like I've got enough issues with his old demon side to his character. I don't know if I want him to be as openly trash trash talking as a babyface. Maybe I want him a little bit pure. I got Finn Balor babyface problems. Did that? Am I making this up? Did that feel a little weird to you, or are you all right with that? No, I understand what you're saying, but to me, he's always been a quiet badass type of guy. So he hasn't necessarily been someone who's needed to talk to get over, um, but he's been that badass. So you know, I think a lot of people just because he's a smaller guy kind of think, oh, he should be a pure face and. You know, not be the Demon King. I know you kind of feel that. And also, if you don't believe demons should be faces, that's a whole other topic. We already discussed that last week. Listen to last week's podcast if you want to hear us argue about that. Um, But, 
for me, yeah, I, I thought it was totally fine. It was within his character that he had in NXT. Look, he's a good guy, but he's going to kick your ass, and he's not really going to apologize for it. So for me, that worked. The whole Balor Club being the fans, I know that was new. It was a, kind of a new revelation. I didn't really ever think it was going to be something different than that because this isn't like Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Guys' names usually aren't on top of factions. So for it to be the Balor Club with – you know, two guys that, you know, in Gallows and Anderson, let's say, let's say they joined it, that aren't Balor, aren't family members, um, didn't really make sense. I mean, you have the Hart Foundation, they were all in a family. Uh, so for me, that didn't, I, I never really expected that well, in the first, it, in the first it, place. It made sense with the New Japan history. It made sense that they called Gallows and Anderson the club for a while, which was right. obviously a play on the Bullet Club. So the idea was, why are they selling all this Balor Club merchandise for the last year and never mentioning it on either NXT or the main roster? It has to mean that eventually the, the heel trio will be formed with Balor on top and they'll be feuding probably with AJ in a pure babyface role, knowing the backstory of the day Finn Balor left New Japan to, to, to come to WWE. It was AJ Styles who took his place in the, in the, in the Bullet Club. Now, that would take, though, WWE <laughs> doing a more open acknowledgement of that happening. You can argue they're already acknowledging it by creating the club and the Balor Club to begin with. But to me, to hear that the Balor Club is his fans was like a nice little kick to the bag, though. I don't know. You know, I don't, well, I don't think they can also – you can listen, the Rock kind of turned against fans too sometimes, so you can always have – them kick the fans out of the Balor Club if if, if they end up making it that trio. Um, you know, Just don't ruin you Finn. Do don't don't ruin Finn. Don't ruin the two sweet gimmick. Don't ruin. There's something so cool about Gallows and Anderson and and even AJ and Balor in this New Japan you know legacy before them. And it ties back to the NWO, of course, with the two sweet. There's something so cool about that. Just WWE, don't ruin it. All right. They're, they're, already, they're already splitting them up on shows. They had the club together, then they split them up. Um, you know, they just, they can't keep these guys together. Maybe they should, I understand that there's, they were both leaders at one point, AJ and Finn, but maybe all four of them should have been in a faction at some point, just kind of running roughshod over the WWE, one of the brands, getting, you know, the tag team titles, the world, uh, and the middle belt, whether it was the U.S. or the Intercontinental, maybe they should have done something like that. Um, but they did, but, a, you know. but AJ Finn is like a SummerSlam main event for sure. like 2018. Like that's money, right? Like oh, yeah. you look. Like, Adam, if you just press pause and look at the roster as the whole and say, like, you know, who are the top two or three workers that I would I would just kill to see together in a promo just for the in-ring? Like, obviously, if we if we did a draft of that right now, AJ versus Finn would be so high on that list. It'd probably be number one, especially since Nakamura's been on the main roster for four weeks, hasn't even wrestled yet. Yeah, good, yeah, good call. I mean, you know, it's those two. It's Seth Rollins in terms of like guys that are going to deliver, deliver in the ring. But hey, Adam, payback, right? Sunday yeah. night, we brought it. We brought it. We, we brought it. We're men of the people. We brought it to the people. You're, that's your payback breakdown. You're still going to get the full show later this week. You're still going to get a big boxing episode coming at you. Lots to talk about. But this was a little experiment from us. We wanted to see what's going to happen with this. We wanted to see if this was a thing. Uh, we had a lot to talk about. I mean, we filled up some time very quickly. Yeah, we did. That's what happens when you plan on a 20-minute quick post-show analysis, and guess what? It's an hour. Uh, but no, I think we had a lot to talk about, and we kind of went off on some tangents here, but we're going to do that from time to time.
And, you know, send us your feedback as always. Hit me up at B Campbell CBS on Twitter. Hit him up at, at Silverstein Adam. Slide in those DMs. Keep those questions coming. That's a, that's, a, that's a segment we really enjoy on the Thursday episode later this week. And get out there and subscribe because we know that you've you've heard something you like. We see the rings. We see the reviews. So people out there that are hearing something, now it's time. You see something, now it's time to say something. Continue the good response from this. Five-star ratings, good reviews. Get out there, spread the word. We want to bring it to you. We want to come. We want to come original and bring these hard overhand rights. You know, set the foundation for us to do so. Yeah, that's what I do. That's what we do. We bring the audio. We bring the pain. It's midnight on the East Coast, and we brought it at them. Twelve forty on the East Coast to be exact. And with that, we out. <laughs>